Good morning, little children. Let's ask the Lord to give us ears to hear. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word that we have that you've kept for us. We thank you, Father, that there's nothing new under the sun. And the same challenges that John faced with the congregation there in Ephesus, we face. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and give us grace to hold on to Jesus, to place our faith fully and completely in him and to help others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to see everyone here today. A well-known atheistic philosopher, Bertrand Russell, who lived from 1872 to 1970, wrote more than 100 books, and his, one of his most popular books was Why I Am Not a Christian. On one occasion, someone asked him the question, uh, what would he say to God if he found himself standing before him? His response, sir, why did you not give me better evidence? The Apostle John, as we open this passage today in 1 John 5, 6 through 12, is going to scream at Bertrand and say, there's evidence everywhere. Today we're going to look at six impeccable witnesses to Jesus being the world's Savior. Six, just in this passage of 1 John, chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Let's stand for the reading of his word. Verse 6. Let's go start with verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he does not believe the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. You may be seated. So as we look at these witnesses today, there are six of them in this passage Kind of our theme of this passage is Christians can be certain that Jesus is the Son of God because God has given several witnesses that testify to his divine nature, giving hope and assurance 
to his children. Remember, John is writing to the church at Ephesus, and they have a challenge with some false Gnostic teachers who really hold this view that the physical is wicked and the spiritual is holy. And they have a problem in that they don't love the saints, these false prophets don't obey God's commands, and they have a false view of who Jesus Christ is. They have those three things going against them. In this passage, John is going to zero in on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is important who he is. It's not good enough just to have a faith in a Jesus. There are lots of religions that have a faith in a Jesus. We must have faith in the Jesus who is clearly described and defined in God's word. A faith in any other Jesus will send you to hell. And so John is driving home the point of who he is. Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes, Christianity puts forward very lofty claims. She claims to be the true faith and the only true one. She avows her teaching to be divine and therefore infallible. While for her great teacher, the Son of God, she demands divine worship and the unreserved confidence and obedience of men. Her commands are issued to every creature, and though at present her authority is rejected by millions of mankind, she confidently looks forward to a time when the truth of God himself shall obtain universal dominion and Jesus the Lord shall take unto himself his great power and reign. Now to justify such high claims, the gospel ought to produce strong evidence. To make great claims, you've got to have some evidence to back it up. And it does, and it does not lack for external evidences. These are abundant. The first evidence that John deals with is the evidence of water. He says, he came by water and blood. Surprise, surprise, since he doesn't define what that is for us here, there are lots of options for what people think that could be. One would be that the water would represent his physical birth. Every person who's born is born in water. Okay, so and sometimes in scripture it can talk about that and give us the impression that it's talking about physical birth. A second option for water would be the water that flowed from his side, from this spear thrust that proved he was what? That he was dead. Remember there was a rush of water and blood to prove that he had, he had died. The third view for water would be water baptism. Luther and Calvin both held this, that the water of baptism is proof of who Jesus is. But when you think about who Paul's trying to deal with, he's trying to deal with people who have believed in the false teaching of a man named Serenthus. Serenthus distinguished Jesus from Christ. In his theology, Jesus was born a normal man. And when he came to the baptism, the, the spirit of Christ came on him and he was now the God-man 
but he never really indwelt him. He kind of rested upon him and he went through his life and he lived this, this life. And then when it came time for the cross, this spirit of Christ leaves Jesus and we have the man, Jesus, who dies for the sins of the world. This is heresy. Jesus has always been God. He was born of a virgin and he became a man, but he was still God. He was the God-man and he lived his life as the God-man and he was baptized as the God-man and he was crucified as the God-man because he was the only one who was able to live the righteous life that was required of God. And he became the sacrifice for our sin. And so... I believe the interpretation of water here deals with his baptism. Let's look at what happens in his baptism. All four gospel accounts record Jesus' baptism. Let's see what was said there. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. A little side note, Corinthus also taught that Jesus would one day be raised from the dead in the last day when everybody else got raised. That was his view. Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Here we have a picture of the father, the son, and the spirit. All in the same event. Notice the spirit descends upon him like a dove. Notice the father makes this wonderful declaration, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The water, the baptism gives testimony to who he was. And all the crowd there watched and heard. And all four gospel writers wrote this event down. Why? It's important to believe that Jesus is God and that he is God's son. It is ultimately important that you believe that. In John 1, 29, if you'll remember, when Jesus came and John saw him, John said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the first witness is his baptism. The second witness is his crucifixion, the blood, the water and the blood. The blood took place at the crucifixion. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Starting in verse 45. A lot went on at the crucifixion of Christ. We don't have time to go into all of it today. Nor does John give us all the witnesses for who Christ is. In Matthew 27, verse 45, 
Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So at Christ's crucifixion, it was dark from noon until three. Notice secondly, verse 51 And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This was after Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit. At that point, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So we see in the crucifixion, the the curtain being ripped apart from top to bottom, which said what? There is now a way into the Holy of Holies. Before, no one could go into the Holy Holies except the priests. But now that way had been made clear because of Christ and his death. Third, verse 51, we see, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. We have an earthquake that takes place at the crucifixion of Christ. Four dead saints rise and give a preview of the resurrection of the power of Christ. Verse 52 and 53, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine that? People who had been born, who were trusted in God, were raised, came out of their tomb, and were walking around in Jerusalem. Can you just imagine that? What a great sign to the greatness of this Savior who would one day cause all of his people to rise from the dead. And then finally, verse 54 We have this pagan centurion who's just standing by watching what's going on. He's a witness. He's just viewing this from his perspective. The scripture says, when the centurion and those who were with him kept watching over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. There was enough evidence at the crucifixion. We're not even talking the resurrection. We're talking the crucifixion. There was enough evidence at the crucifixion to know this wasn't just a normal Jew who was being crucified by Rome. This was the Son of God. So we have the great testimony in the baptism. We have the great testimony at the crucifixion. The next witness is the Holy Spirit, verses 6 through 8. Let's go back to our passage. 1 John 5. In the middle of 6. And the Spirit is the one who testifies... Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. They agree about what? That Jesus is God's Son. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. John fifteen twenty six. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus said the Spirit's going to bear witness about me. 
And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The whole theme of this passage is that God gives an accurate witness about who Jesus is. It's faithful. It's true. We don't have to doubt it. What's interesting is, if you look at Deuteronomy 19.15, in the court of law in Israel, there would never be a person convicted based upon the witness of one person. We know how bad that could be, right? One person doesn't like you, and they, they say all this stuff about you, and they take just one witness, and all of a sudden you're going to jail, or you're being hung, or whatever the situation is. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. That's just good law, isn't it? We've got to have to have two to three witnesses. Now notice... <clears throat> If you'll notice the passage we read today, Jesus gives a testimony about himself. Remember that? And they say to him, you can't be giving testimony about yourself because it's just you. You're just one person. How can you give testimony about yourself? And what does Jesus say? Yes, I can. I can give testimony about myself because I know who I am. I know where I'm from. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I'm from. The two to three witnesses is for what? Fallen men. Because men are fallen, because men are liars, because men are deceivers, we need two to three witnesses to collect, 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 collaborate the testimony, Correct? With God, that's not necessary because the Bible says God cannot lie. But notice how God condescends to us. He makes sure there are at least two or three witnesses, even if it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. Because he wants people to have an abundance of evidence in contradiction to what Bertrand Russell said, to be able to clearly with their rational mind go, this makes sense because I hear a witness here and here and here and here, and they all are saying the same thing. One pastor states, the witness of the Spirit of God's witness to us, in us and through us. Just as the arrow of a compass always points north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. The Spirit always bears witness to Jesus. You're here today if you're a believer because the Spirit of God bore witness to you that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross for your sins and that his death is sufficient to bring forgiveness of sin and to give you new life. That didn't happen just because you had a, brain, a brainstorm. You had to have the Spirit of God bear witness to who Jesus was. Jesus, John, Jesus says in John 16, 14, 
He will glorify me, the Spirit. So we have the blood, we have the water, we have the Spirit. Now we get to verse 9. Verse 9 says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. We do take the testimony of men, don't we? We take it all the time. As we read this scripture, we're taking the testimony of men who were led by the Spirit of God to write these words. And we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that bear witness and are harmonized to show us the truth of who Jesus is. We do take the testimony of men in court, and men are executed because of the testimony of men. He says, if you take the testimony of men, how much more should you do what? Take the testimony of God. This is God's testimony. Does that sink into our soul? That the Father gives testimony to who Jesus is. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. And you remember, as we read today in, in John 8, there's this back and forth about who Jesus is and was he born out of sexual immorality, kind of hinting at Joseph and doing all this stuff and who's your father and who's my father and all this. And Jesus says to him, listen, I didn't come on my own. I was sent by the one you call God. And he bears witness that I am the Messiah. Even though you don't believe it, he bears witness to that. The Spirit of God bears witness to that. The miracles I do bear witness to that. The way I live my life bears witness that I'm not just a rabbi or an ordinary man, but I am the Son of God. So we have the witness of the Father about Jesus now, unfortunately, because of the fallenness of mankind, every man across the board, unless they've been changed by the Spirit, are going to give the opposite witness about Jesus. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is why Christians are attacked. This is why Christ is attacked. It's because Christ is the pinnacle of God's truth. And for people to live in unrighteousness, they must suppress. They must smother. They must cover over the truth that's being proclaimed by God. And that's what we're facing in more and more pockets in our culture is a hatred and antagonism for Christ first and us as his representative second. But let's not lose heart. God has given a testimony that will not be changed about who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Hebrews 6.18 tells us it's impossible for God to lie. To not believe God's testimony is to make him out to be a liar. 
Now, we seem to have no problem in our culture not believing in Jesus and making God a liar. We have no problem in our culture of unbelieving people to make God a liar because we don't believe in who Jesus is. Either man is true or God is true because the testimonies contradict. They both can't be true. And in our culture, we try to do that. We have relativism. I believe what I believe in is good for me. And you believe what you believe in is good for you. And you believe what you believe in is good for you. And all is truth. Isn't that great? It's baloney. There's only one truth. And it comes from God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I need to get our little battle gear on. Because we're going to face more and more resistance to the truth of who Jesus is. God has never given this powerful a witness about anyone else in human history. The Bible from the beginning to the end is the testimony about Jesus. It is the testimony about who he is. God's witness regarding Jesus demands a response from each and every one of us. He has declared that Jesus was the God-man who humbled himself, became a man, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and took your sins and my sins upon him, and his death satisfied the wrath of God, that all who would believe in him might have eternal life and be forgiven of their sins. That's the testimony of the Father about who Jesus is. And he is the Savior not of just the Jews, not of just those people in North America. He is the Savior of all the world, of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Everyone goes through the narrow gate, which is Jesus to get to salvation, or they find no salvation. There is no salvation in the other world religions that are out there. There is no salvation in even Christian sects that are off to the point that they don't know who Jesus is. There is no salvation in the cults who redefine who Jesus is. And that's John's point here is, If you don't have the right Jesus, you don't have salvation. But you do. And that's what we rejoice in is that we do have the right Jesus. Because we have believed the truth about God's testimony about him. And our job is to put our faith completely in this Jesus. Not our church attendance and not any of our other good works totally putting our trust in his, who he is and his finished work on the cross. Resting totally on him and him alone. He is our hope. He is the one that we need. But everyone must respond to him. And a lot of our culture just wants to kind of ignore him. That's a response to him. That is, a, that is a damning response to him. There is one way to salvation. 
Well, I just really, you know, I'm not real religious and I really don't want to really, you know, be real fanatical about these things. And, I, you know, Jesus was a pretty good person, I think. That's not what the scripture said. God declared he is the savior of the world. What do you say? Well, I don't know. Well, then you've chosen to not put your faith in him. Therefore, you will stand before God and you will face his wrath. And God will be the one asking the questions, not Bertrand Russell. There won't be anything about you didn't give me enough evidence. Spurgeon on this, God is to be believed if all men contradict him. And they pretty much do, don't they? Let God be true and every man a liar. That's true. One word of God ought to sweep away 10,000 words of men. Amen? Whether they be philosophers of today or sages of antiquity, God's word is against them all, for he knows infallibly. His testimony is true. His testimony is the only testimony that's true. Of his own son, he knows, I love this, of his own son, he knows as no one else can of who Jesus is, of our condition before him. He knows of the way apart. He, he knows Jesus better than anybody. And he gives testimony. And he knows our condition. And he gives testimony. And he knows what it's going to take to pardon us. And he gives testimony. He lays it clearly out there. This is what it takes because of your condition. And here's my son. And here's who he really is. And I did send him. And he did everything I asked him to do. And he completely fulfilled the law and the prophets. And he was the holy righteous sacrifice. Trust him and him alone. It were an insult to him, such as we may not venture to perpetrate for a moment to suppose that he would willfully mislead his poor creatures by a proclamation of mercy which meant nothing. Or by presenting to them a Christ who could not redeem them. How horrible would that be for him to make these promises and Christ not be able to redeem and not being able to save us. And we all put our hope in it. We're all rejoicing every day that we're being saved. And finally, in the end, Jesus couldn't save us. Wow. The gospel with God for its witness cannot be false. It cannot. Whatever may be the witness against it, the witness of God is greater. We must believe the witness of God. And we must call others to believe the witness of God. So we have the water. We have the witness of the blood. We have the witness of the spirit. We have the witness of the father. Now we have the witness of our conversion. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. There is no middle ground here, friend. God leaves you no middle ground. 
we either believed God's testimony and we find salvation in Jesus, or we choose not to make a decision, which is a decision, and we reject Jesus, which seals our fate. Notice here, when you and I believe in the Son, there is a testimony within us. When you and I completely, when we repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we are told in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that encouraging? The Spirit of God who lives in you bears witness with your spirit that you're his. That you belong to him. If we didn't have that, we would constantly be in terror, wondering, have we done enough? Am I in? Am I out? Did I fall out today? Did I come back tomorrow? What's the situation? We are given his spirit as a constant witness to our spirit that we are his. There is no need, while it may have some benefit to go back and try to figure out when you became a Christian, that may have some benefit. The bigger question is, what's, where are you at now? Not where were you when you were eight and you prayed a prayer. The question is, where are you now in relationship to Christ? Do you believe in Jesus alone for salvation. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I I need to be in church every Sunday and I need to be reading my Bible every week. And if I do all those things, then God's going to find me acceptable. Wrong answer. As a result of faith, you will do those things, but those things have nothing to do with your salvation. The only person that has to do with your salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he did, and the big question is, are you completely trusting in him alone for salvation? If you are, then you have the spirit living in you. And he bears witness, you are mine. You are mine. I love you. I died for you. And I will be with you forever. Finally, the witness of eternal life. Verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is, surprise, surprise, guess where? In his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Life. John is black and white. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't, you don't have life. Now we know eternal life is life forever with God, but it's also a different kind of life. Because remember, Jesus' goal is to conform us into the image of Himself, right? And so as we place our faith in Christ and we're trusting him alone for salvation, he begins to change us. 
He changes our heart. We now have a love for other Christians. We even have a love for people who are lost and for people who mistreat us and hurt us. We have a desire to obey the Bible and the commandments of the scriptures. We have a desire to read the word. We have a desire to talk to God. We have a desire to see others come to know Jesus. And we find ourselves saying things about God to other people and being a witness. Because we have the Spirit who's a what? A witness. And you can't keep the Spirit contained. It's going to come out in our witness of who He is. So we have these outward witnesses the, the baptism, the crucifixion, the Spirit, the Father. Then we have this internal witness of the Spirit within us saying, You are mine. And then we have this witness of our lives being what? Changed. And we know it, we're not perfect. And we know that we've got a long way to go. But we do know what? Something's going on within us, isn't it? Something's changing who we are. And changing our affections and our desires. And giving us power to begin to overcome sin in our life. And beginning to speak God's word to other people. This is the witness of the life that now lives in us. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Abundant life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. In Philippians 1.6, Paul tells us, I am sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Construction's going on. Something's happening. We just moved out of Michael's dad's house Tuesday. We weren't evicted. Good news there. <clears throat> Felt evicted, but we weren't evicted. And they came in on Wednesday with a crew. And they are tearing out carpet. And they're ripping off the, the cat countertops. And we went over last night and they had put cedar planking all in the ceiling on the, on the back porch. I'm like, wow! Is it a finished work? No. There's more stuff to be done there. But something's going on at that house right? And the same is true for you. You are not a finished product yet. I'm not a finished product yet, but we know that some things are going on. Some carpets being ripped out. Some, some countertops are being removed. We're going to get a fresh coat of paint. I mean, there's things going on in our life that we know come from who? God. And the, the desire of John to his little children was that they would not be swayed back and forth by the false teachers who didn't obey God and didn't love them and didn't even believe rightly about Jesus. His desire in this passage is that they would know that God has given a clear witness of who Jesus is. And all they need to do is believe it and follow Jesus. That's all they have to do is believe God's witness, 
trust Jesus alone and they will be comforted with all the confusion of the false teachers that are around there. Jesus made this comment from our passage earlier. I want to read it for us and then we're close. Verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. John doesn't even deal with the fact that Jesus gave testimony about himself. John doesn't even get into the whole fact that the whole Bible gives testimony about who he is. John doesn't even go, oh, and by the way, look at the first part of 1 John where I basically tell you I have seen him, I have touched him, I have heard him, and I give testimony that he's real. God has not left Jesus without a witness. God has fully given witness to who he is for anyone who will turn and put their faith in Christ. My prayer for us today is that our hope is fully resting on Jesus. Fully resting on him and what he's done for us. And that God will with his spirit living in us, cause us to be witnesses of this truth to those that we know and that we love and that we live life with in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible witness that you have given us by Jesus' baptism by his crucifixion, by his resurrection, which wasn't even mentioned in this passage, by your spirit, by the Father, by Jesus himself that wasn't mentioned in this passage, by your word that wasn't mentioned in this passage, by eternal life. Father, there's an abundant abundance of evidence that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. Father, I pray for us here today. I pray if there's someone here who doesn't trust Jesus, is not entrusting their life to Jesus, that they would today trust the testimony of the Father about Jesus and the Spirit. That they would bring their sin to Jesus and say, I need you to save me and you alone. And Lord, that they might be born from above, transformed by your grace. Father, for those of us who are Christians, that we would believe the testimony that Jesus is the Christ and that he loves us and that he died for us. And that we would know that our acceptance is fully, completely based upon what he's done for us. 
and that we would watch as you, by your grace, change us to become more like him. Father, I pray for a lost and dying world that is all around us, our family, our friends, those in our community who may have some knowledge of who Jesus is. Father, I pray that you would help us find ways to come alongside them and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them that many of them might be saved. Father, thank you for saving us. Lord, may you continue to save all who come to you. Thank you that our salvation rests on Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen.